Trinity Baptist Church. So, once, I was stubborn, opinionated, and I believed I could do whatever I wanted. Simply by myself, no help was needed. I found this desire and a drive to accomplish any dreams that I could muster up. So I did everything in my power to accomplish my goals. Until the day came when I felt trapped. I felt unsatisfied with where I had brought myself, and deep down I sensed that there was something missing. And then Jesus found me. I, I was working my dreams, but not his. So he invited me and challenged me to join him on this epic leap of faith. Since then, I have learned day by day that only he can satisfy my needs and my desires, and that he chose me so that I could do his dreams. Today, I live because of his never-ending unconditional love and support. Today, I am still in mid-leap with the Lord, and it is so worth it. My name is Gregory Brown, and I am new. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, it begins with Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was repaired by the sons of Hasena. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Mirmoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Shalom, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Greg. So there was an 80-year-old golfer by the name of Slim. And Slim loved to play, and he got out every chance he got. But one day he was in the clubhouse, and the, the, the pro of the club where he played recognized that he'd seen Slim in the clubhouse for like two weeks. So he said, Slim, you okay? You you still love golf? And, and Slim said, yeah, I still love it. Are, physically, are you all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. So well, I haven't seen you out on the course. What's going on? He said, well, I can't see anymore. I can still hit the ball, and, and I still love playing the game, but once it gets out about 20 yards, I just lose it, and I keep losing my golf balls. And so the pro thought for a minute and said, Jake, come on over here. 
So he calls Jake over. Jake's 85. All right? And, and he says, Jake, do you love golf? Yeah. Do you play? No. Why not? My body. I just can't do it. I just can't swing the club anymore. I just, my hips, you know, they're killing me. I just can't get out there. I said, well, Jake, can you see? Like a hawk. Well, look, Slim here loves to play, and he's still got the physical capability of doing it. Jake, you love to play, but you don't have the physical capability. But you can see, and he can't see. Why don't you guys go out and play a round of golf together? Great idea. So they go out there, and Slim tees it up, and, and whack, 180 yards right down the middle of the fairway. And he's all excited. He's, Jake, did you see it? Sure did. Where'd it go? Can't remember. <laughs> Point. We need each other. We need each other to come alongside of one another to shore up our deficiencies and complement the other person where one person can do something that I can't do and I can do something they can't do. If we come alongside of each other, we can do extraordinary things. You know, there are some extraordinary things happening in our community of faith. And, and if you'll come to the annual meeting after this service, I'm going to share some of those things. Um, but the reality is, is that even though some extraordinary things are taking place, if we don't keep each one of us doing our part and coming alongside, we can lose the ball in the weeds, even if it's right down the middle of where God wants us to be. You see, what we need to take place, what we need to see take place is Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. You see, it's not... God didn't gift certain people to do certain things so that those certain people would do it all. God gifted certain people to do certain things so that they could help other people to do what they do well so that together we can accomplish it all. Um, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 16, From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. For the body of Christ to grow, not just inflate, But to really grow, every single individual, each part, must do its work. Doing what they can with the gifts that God has given them. And that's the purpose of the church. The the growth of the body so that each of us may be built up. So that we might attain uh, 
become mature and attain to the full measure of Christ in us. We're in this series called Extraordinary, where we've been learning from this man, Nehemiah, what it means to move from an ordinary life to an extraordinary life. And I think as we've established the last couple of weeks, nobody really wants to be average. Nobody wants to just live an ordinary life. We all want to be extraordinary in some way. We all want to experience an extraordinary life in some way. But what does it take to move from the ordinary to the extraordinary? That's what we're seeing in the book of Nehemiah. And this morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3 in the building of the wall. And I think that what we're going to see will help us to realize that in order for us to be extraordinary, it really takes us all. That it's not just one of us, but it takes all of us to do an extraordinary work. So if you'll turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, and I'd really like for you, all of you to, to turn there today because I think this is important. So if you've got a Bible or the one in front of you, or you can look on your device... And I want you to do something for, the, for 15 seconds or even 10 seconds, all right? If you're at Nehemiah chapter 3, for 10 seconds, I want you just to s- scan the passage, okay? Ready, go. Time's up. What jumped off the page at you? Names. A million of them. And none of them you can pronounce. Right? So if you're studying the book of Nehemiah, and you get to chapter 3, and you start stumbling over these names, and you skim down and you go, names, 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 what do you do? You skip to chapter 4. Right? Okay, got it. Next chapter where I can start understanding stuff. But see, if you do that, you miss an important message. God didn't inspire Nehemiah to give us this list of builders just to fill chapter 3. There's a lesson for us to learn. Look at the text and see who's at work here. Verse 1. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. If you skip down to verse 17, you'll see next to him the repairs were made by the Levites under Rahum, son of Benai. Verse 22, the repairs next to him were made by the priest from the surrounding region. Who are these guys? Priests. These are holy men, men of the cloth. These are guys who could have said, man, I am so excited that the Lord has called you to this work. I will be sure to pray for you that the Lord will strengthen you as you do this task that he has put before you. They could have just kind of said, no, this is not our job. We're the religious guys. We're the spiritual guys. 
But that's not what they did. They rolled up their sleeves, <clears throat> got their hands dirty, got in there and got involved. Um, and notice what they did after they completed their work. Verse 1, they rebuilt the sheep gate. It says they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. You see how they viewed their work? It's for the Lord. It was for the Lord. No matter what it was, even though this wasn't teaching the Torah, even though this wasn't um, offering sacrifice, even though this was just getting their hands dirty and building walls and setting gates in place, it was for the Lord. Friends, no matter what part of the wall you are building, no matter what it looks like, whether it's leading worship up here or teaching our children downstairs or putting mini muffins out for coffee hour um, or working in the sound booth. It doesn't matter. It's for the Lord. It's all for the Lord. Even if it's not in here, even if it's out there, regardless of what you're doing, if you're doing it for the glory of God, it's for the Lord. You dedicate it to Him. Verse 2. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, <clears throat> built next to them. Men of Jericho. What's significant about that? How far was Jericho from Jerusalem? <laughs> far. <laughs> it was far. It was about 30 miles. So this is not next door. This is a two-day's journey on foot for these guys to get there. They could have said, that's inconvenient. That's, you know, and it's not really going to benefit us. I mean, they're like a whole two days away from us. How's that wall going to help us? That's, you know, that'd be a hassle. It's a trek. Ordinary people would have said that. Extraordinary people Say, if it's for the glory of God, I'm there. I wonder how many of us over the last two years when we've been doing 100 Saturdays have said, yeah, that's way down in Staten Island. It's inconvenient. It's going to take a whole Saturday. It's way out in Far Rockaway. I, you know, and what's that, how's that going to benefit me? See, that's what ordinary people do. Extraordinary people say, if it's for the glory of God, I'm going. It's not convenient. It's taking me out of my comfort zone, but I'm going. Because it's for Him. Look down at verse 8. Uzel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Um, these guys are skilled craftsmen. And they could have said, you know what, the, the tough work of construction, that's going to be hard on my delicate hands. And I have jewelry to make. I have perfume to make. But they didn't do that. They said, no, I'm, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm, I'm going to do my part. 
Look at the next group. Verse 9. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next wall. Verse 12. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. Verse 15. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Kol Jose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half district of Beth Hur, made repairs up to the point opposite the tombs of David. Verse 17. Hashabiah, ruler of the half district of Kalah carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen under Benui, son of Hinnadad, ruler of the other half-district of Calah. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section. What do all of these guys have in common? Rulers. Leaders. These are guys of, of clout and... Um, con- considerable authority. These are guys of prestige in their community. They could have said, uh, yeah, that's, I'm not doing that. I'll, I'll delegate. I'll direct others, but that's actually below me. Over the years, I have loved seeing people in our congregation who have roles of prestige and stature and authority in, in the marketplace, and they get in here and they roll their sleeves up. I love seeing um, guys like that, guys and gals like that, of, of significant stature and prestige in the marketplace, go to Rwanda and, and throw mud. I love watching people like that go to Far Rockaway and muck out houses. Um, years ago, we were doing a renovation project uh, in our fellowship hall, and, and the number three guy at KPMG was downstairs with a dust mask on, sanding doors and painting walls. We also had a, 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 an expert in 18th century British porcelain, who, a guy that museums would call and in fact still call to get his insight on a particular piece of pottery. He's downstairs, got his overalls on, and he's got pencils hanging from his ears. You know, he's, he's just in there. Friends, ordinary people say, no, that's below me. Extraordinary people say, if it's for the glory of God, there is nothing too dirty, nothing too menial, nothing too low that I won't get involved in. These guys, these rulers did their part. And when it comes to the glory of God. That's what extraordinary people do. Uh, Verses 31 and 32, you see there are merchants working with goldsmiths, which is surprising. Uh, It's not surprising to find merchants hanging out with goldsmiths. It is surprising to see merchants working at all. 
because merchants didn't work for a living. They made their living off of other people's work. They would capitalize on situations. And so what would have been, you know, normal or, or what you would expect to see here is maybe these merchants setting up a, I don't know, a falafel stand so that, you know, while the workers, they could make some cash off of them. But not these guys. They're getting their hands dirty. They're in there working. If you go through this text, in addition to what I've mentioned, you will find bachelors and bachelorettes. You see, God is an equal opportunity employer. Uh, There's no gender bias. You will find temple servants and city guards. Why have we spent the last... 10, 12 minutes looking at all these people. Because God put this text here to make a point, and the point is we need each other. The point is that no matter what our individual avocation may be, our mutual vocation must be about the glory of God and that we're all going to do our part so that his glory can be seen in us and through us. As Paul said, we work together so that we may all be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We've all got to do our part for the good of the whole. What happens in here on Sunday mornings is a great illustration of this. Hopefully what what we do in here is is an inspiration and a motivation and, and that transformation happens. That when you come on Sunday morning the, the the worship experience as a whole that you have changes you and moves you in your worship of God and your knowledge of Him and your obedience to Him. But contrary to popular belief, that doesn't just happen. The praise team is here on Thursday nights to, or Wednesday nights to, to work to pull together the set that, that one of them has, has put together in, in you know, thinking about what the sermon is going to be and all that so that the music kind of fits. And they've already worked on that. And they come in here on Wednesday or Thursday and they work together and they get here you know, at about 8 or 8.30 on, on Sunday morning, an hour and a half or three hours before you guys do. And they're here with the musicians who are working and, and they're pulling all that together. And the guys in the booth, you got Chris and Sheen and Tachi and Roy up there and they're doing lights and making sure the sound's working and the slides are, are working. And then you've got the, the ushers and the greeters out there that are, hope you know, creating a warm and welcoming environment. You've got the child care workers downstairs who are chasing our kids and teaching our kids so that we can be free up here to listen and learn from the Lord. And then you've got the coffee hour folks who are putting out the mini muffins and the coffee so that we can have a time of fellowship. And I could go on and on and on. And all of that has to happen for this to happen. That's the ministry of the church. 
That's part of the ministry of the church. And that part of the ministry of the church, everybody has to do their part so that this extraordinary thing can take place. But too often, the, the ministry of the church is, is seen like a professional football game where you've got 80,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise watching 22 men on the, on the field who are badly in need of rest. Right? That's not what the church is supposed to be. But there are a lot of us who are sitting in the stands. Think about what would happen if everybody here, if everybody in this room today rolled up their sleeves and did something fantastic for God and His glory. What if everybody was doing all they could for the glory of God? What if every one of us knew our spiritual gifts and we were utilizing them for the cause of Christ? What if every one of us was tithing? What if every one of us was, uh, was inviting our friends and coworkers to come experience this thing that we get to experience? What if every one of us was engaging with, with new people every time we walked in the doors? So that every time you came in here, you were looking for somebody that you didn't know so that you could connect with them and engage with them. And I had to go and confess to some folks, to Holly and Gabriel this morning, that I'd forgotten their names. I hate that. But what if we were looking to engage like that? What if we were looking for ways to serve this community and beyond? What if everybody in the room was doing that? I'll tell you what would happen. We would be an Acts 2 church. We would be a church where people would see what was going on with us, and how we were reaching out and how we were making an impact and that there was something different happening here and the Lord would add to our number daily those who are being saved. That's what would happen. So here's the thing. Maybe this is on me. Maybe it's on me because I haven't called you to do your part. Well, that's changing right now. Right now. Right now, I'm calling you to do your part. Right now, I'm calling you to build your section of the wall. Right now, I'm calling you to get out of the stands and get in the game. Because we need everybody in order to do an extraordinary work. Okay? So now you've heard it. Now it's on you. Now it's on you. Now you get to decide, do I want to be ordinary and just say, oh, that's inconvenient. That's out of my comfort zone. Oh, it's way down in Staten Island. 
Oh, it's below me. You can be ordinary and do that, or you can be extraordinary and say, if it's for the glory of God, I'm all in. I'm in. You may say, well, Keith, I want to be, I want to build my part of the wall, but I don't know which part of the wall I'm supposed to build. Okay, I've got some suggestions for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about a, an opportunity that we all have right now to take part in building a piece of the wall. A couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about what Bill Hybels calls a holy discontent, where your heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God. And in 2004, I had, God gave me a holy discontent for Rwanda. I went on a, on a vision trip with World Vision, and, and God broke my heart over the, the situation that those folks in Yamagabe and Mutasoma were living in, and, and I had my Popeye moment where I said, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. And I came back, and I shared my experience with the congregation and my conviction with the congregation. And we decided then that Rwanda was going to be a, a significant part of our missions efforts from Trinity. And since that time, a number of you, we've taken over 100 people, 100 different people, to Rwanda in the last 10 years. Um, and, and many of them have had that same holy discontent that I had. And they, and, and they just, they can't, they can't not do something about it. And so over the last 10 years, we've taken teams of people to Rwanda where we have um, demonstrated God's love to them by building homes, by training pastors and, and community leaders and things. We've raised money for cows and for goats and for uh, five water wells and two, uh, two Votex schools and one primary school. Since 2004, we have generated over 1,000 child sponsorships through World Vision. That's huge. And in one campaign in 2006... We called it the Over the Fence Campaign. In two months' time, we generated over 400 child sponsorships, which translates to about $144,000 in one year. What we are proposing today is not quite as ambitious as that, but it is extraordinary nonetheless. And so I'd like to invite uh, Amanda and Stephanie to come up and share with you this um, bricks and blackboards campaign that we are um, that we are reinvigorating um, right now. Hi, everybody. My name is Amanda, and uh, I've been part of the team since 2011. So um, the holy discontent has been there for me, and this year will be my fifth trip. 
Stephanie, and I've been involved with the Rwanda ministry since 2010 when I ran um, a half marathon to help raise money with World Vision. And then last summer, um, I went with the team for the first time and will be returning again this summer. Um, so clearly, I also have a holy discontent for, um, for Rwanda. So the Brixton Blackboard campaign was started in 2013, and it's to help raise support for both uh, schools that we got to visit, uh, the Gatano Primary School and the Kagami Vocational School. Can you go to the next? Um, in 2012, we got to visit uh, the schools during the early phases, and we saw there was a need. Um, when we went, the Gatano Primary School was just a plain building, um, cemented walls, just benches in one big room for all the kids. This picture is of the team last year in front of the new and improved uh, Gatano Primary School with bricks on the outside, classrooms filled with desks and blackboards, the children in uniforms. Bricks and blackboards, did you get that connect? Okay, <laughs> just wanted to and make sure. We did that, or we, we helped them do that. So the goal this year um, is to raise $35,800 more for the completion of the school so it can be recognized by the Rwandan government. That's a picture of the school and some of the kids that we got to meet. Um, what you see here is the Kigeme Vocational Training Center. Um, so the Kigeme School is, uh, well, Kigeme is another one of the villages that we work in, and this school in particular um, is a vocational training school, which is focused on at-risk youth, um, which makes its proximity to a refugee camp even more impactful. Um, our team visited this school last summer, and uh, we met a lot of the students there. We watched them build, sew, cook, and make really amazing use of the um, first phase of building that Trinity helped to establish. Um, now, in order to gain recognition and be accredited by the Rwandan government, um, they're in need of a final classroom building, and that is going to cost about $16,227. About <laughs> sixteen to so. twenty-seven in that ballpark. Precisely. <laughs> um, can you go to the next slide? The other way. The other next. There we go. Um, so you can see some of the students at the school in these pictures. Um, there is some woodwork going on. Uh, we saw some of the beautiful dresses that they had made. Um, it was all very quite impressive. And again, it all just works towards sustainability and um, granting these children and, um, and these youth um, more opportunity in the area. Next slide. So all of this really is a call to action. Um, these schools' needs are where we at Trinity um, are going to come together as a community to be extraordinary together. Um, we're asking all of you to come alongside the Rwanda ministry um, to help us reach this goal and ultimately further God's work through Trinity in Rwanda. So here's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, downstairs for the next couple of weeks, as we go through the rest of the series, we'll have a table uh, where you can sign up. Just give us your email, and we can send you a package, basically, um, that'll help you get started in fundraising. That's really what we're asking you to help us do. Um, so we'll give you sample letters. You can go to the next so you can see. That's one. Uh, you can personalize it, send it out to family, friends, print it out, post it at work, post it in your building, whatever you want to do. You can 
can use social media to get the word out. Um, you want to direct people towards our page that we've created uh, for Trinity. Um, that's the goal. So we're making it as easy as possible for you. We have everything pre-written. All you have to do is copy and paste it or take um, take a, a sample letter that we have uh, for you downstairs. Um, and we'll be downstairs every week after service every Sunday. Um, so you can come down, ask us questions. Um, you'll see, you can see some pictures. Uh, whatever you want to know, you can find me or Amanda, grab one of us, grab someone else who's involved in the Rwanda ministry. Um, and we're happy to share, happy to help out, but we're trying to make it as easy as possible. And um, we really firmly believe that God's in this. Um, he's worked through this congregation before to do amazing things in Rwanda, and we're, we know he'll do it again. Yep. So all you need to do is pray about it and get the word out, and God will do the rest. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So in, in 2006, the way we generated 400, over 400 child sponsorships was that people would, would basically tell our church's story of the ministry in Rwanda and through an email and send it out to all their contacts and got people then to um, outside of our church to actually sponsor children. And so we're shooting to do the same thing here is that this is, we're, not, we're not trying to just within our group raise 58000 but we want, we want to go, we, we want other people to become a part of this, this ministry with us and to contribute to what we're trying to accomplish there. So that's kind of the detail. And this is a huge thing. But you know what? We can do this together. We can do it together. And you say, well, this is huge. This is like monumental. I mean, how are we going to raise $58,000 in, in, you know, two months between now and the middle of, of June? Um, you know, that's, that's just huge. Well, think about this wall for a minute. This wall around Jerusalem was huge. It was about two and a half miles in circumference. And if, just to give you a visual on what that looked like, if we started building right over here on the corner of, of 61st and 2nd Avenue, all right, this is where we're going to start. You would build the wall down 2nd Avenue to 46th Street. You would build west on 46th Street to 3rd Avenue. You would build up 3rd Avenue to 51st Street. You would build west on 51st to Lex. You would build up Lexington back to 61st Street and then from Lexington back to 2nd Avenue. That's how big it was. It's a big wall. It was huge. So what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah knew that, that in order to not overwhelm the people, that he had to break this thing down and get them to see that it's that it's not just this monumental task, but no, you just got you've got a part to play. You guys, you guys do that section. You guys, you do that section. He just broke it down. The old African proverb: How do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. One bite at a time. Nehemiah just broke it down, one bite at a time. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do with this Rwanda um, campaign. That's what we're going to do with the ministries of our church. Friends, the cause of Christ, the, the opportunities that God has put in front of us as, as a community of faith are huge. And when we think of what he's called us to do to represent him to, to a world that is lost and, and, and needs the Savior, and, and how are we going to do that? It can be overwhelming and daunting. But at the end of the day, you just say, well, wait a minute, we just have to do our part. <clears throat> I love this. Listen to these phrases. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, next to him, next to them, the next section. Over and over and over, you see these these phrases repeated. The point is, there were no gaps because they all worked together. One group picked up where the other left off. You know what the result of this cooperative effort was? Turn over to chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What was impossible, what was seen as an impossible task was done with the help of their God. And in 52 days, they did this amazing, extraordinary thing. We've got 63 days in order to raise $52,000. We can do this if we do it together. Friends, this is a marvelous story about an extraordinary work done in 52 days by a group of people who said, we're not going to be ordinary, we're going to be extraordinary. And to be extraordinary, all I need to do is do my part. You hit the ball. And I'll watch it. And then somebody else needs to remember where it went. Just do your part. Let's be willing to allow God to do the impossible through us. Let's do it here through our community of faith at Trinity as we each do our part to help this place be a place where people come face to face with the love and glory of God every time they run into one of us. And let's do our part for the glory of God in Rwanda as we help them to secure a better future for themselves by the things that we are able to contribute to them. You know, we can do this if we do it together. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace in our lives. We're so grateful that you have called us 
to be extraordinary, and you have put extraordinary opportunities in front of us. I pray, Lord, that we, that we would choose today. I don't want to be ordinary anymore. I want to step into the extraordinary, and I will do my part so that the cause of Christ, the glory of God, can go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.